Welcome to Invited In, a podcast connecting the global family of Samaritan's Purse. I'm Christy Graham, and today I have Brock Kreitzberg with me in the studio. Brock is the director of the International Disaster Response Unit. He is responsible for managing and building the organization's capacity to respond to international disasters. Before taking this position, Brock spent more than five years in the field. The last three as country director in both South Sudan and Uganda. A fun fact, Brock was a member of the U.S. bobsled team from 2003 to 2010. And during that time, he competed in the 2006 Winter Olympic Games. Brock met his wife, Danielle, while serving with Samaritan's Purse overseas. And they have three children, Akai, Ari, and Atticus. Thank you so much, Brock, for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's good to be here. So before we get into Samaritan's Purse, I just have to ask, I don't sit with many Olympians. Can you just tell us a little bit about what it was like to compete in the Olympics? As I thought about this question, one word came to my mind, and that was electric. Hmm. To be a part of the Olympic Games, something that some people train for their entire lives, Hmm. but you spend day in and day out training to be an Olympian. And when you walk into the opening ceremonies, um, it was electric. The the energy and the emotion that was there, um, you could almost you could almost mm. taste it. And though the electricity it wore off shortly thereafter, and it became a pressure cooker mm. because you have so much pressure. You've made the Olympics. Now the goal is to win a medal. Mm-hmm. And so the closer you get to your event, the more pressure that you feel uh, to to do well, and then the anticipation of competing. And then it's either a very high, high, or a very low, low, depending on how you do. And then after the Olympic Games, it kind of, it drops off because mm-hmm. you're at the center of the athletic world. Mm-hmm. And then essentially no one cares unless you want a gold medal. Mm-hmm. So it was an incredible experience and opened many opportunities for me um, outside of just sport. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. Can't wait to hear, because um, I know the verse of spiritual training is of some value, but godly, I'm sure it translates well into the eternal kingdom. So how did you go from international bobsled to Samaritan's Purse? So I made the 2006 games. I missed, I had an injury and I did not make the 2010 games. And so after that, I, I was trying to, to decide what I was going to do. And I decided I had a friend who was a stuntman in Los Angeles. So mm. I moved to LA and I was a stuntman for, for well over a year. Mm. Though I was on the set of, of a TV show and I thought to myself, I'm doing the very same thing that I was doing as an athlete. As an athlete, I was investing in myself, in my mm. body to be an, an elite athlete. But as a stuntman, I was really investing in my pocketbook. And I thought to myself, when I die, what do I want to have invested in? Myself or something else or someone else? And so that began uh, a journey of looking at ways to invest in eternity and in uh, something bigger than myself. Mm -hmm. And so after the tsunami and earthquake in Japan, I felt a call to go to Japan. Few times have I felt the Lord press on me to go to uh, to do something. And so um, after a lot of prayer and uh, conversations with wise individuals, I decided to sell everything that didn't fit in a four by four storage container. I had a friend of a friend through church and I flew to Japan, not really knowing what I was gonna do, but knowing God had called me there. And so once I was there, I was connected 
uh, with Samaritan's Purse, and uh, I started volunteering. And within about two weeks, we started talking about a full-time position in Japan. And so I start at a very entry-level position with Samaritan's Purse um, as a base manager. And that was really uh, humbling because you, you go, you're at the top of the world in an athletic career, and then I have to start a new career at the very bottom where I thought that that would translate from being an Olympic athlete to being an executive at a mm-hmm. at an organization or a company, and and that wasn't the case. And so that was a very good learning tool for me when approaching leadership, when approaching Samaritan's Purse, is approaching it with humility. It doesn't matter what you have done in the past, but how can I serve um, serve people, serve the Lord, and whatever wherever He has called me to to be. Mm. Now, did you know Christ prior, or did you find him after leaving the Olympics? I became a Christian when I was 19. Okay. I didn't grow up in a church. I went to a church a few times, but my father had had cancer uh, mm-hmm. when I was uh, 10. And so I began to pray to God to mm-hmm. heal my father. And unfortunately, he passed away when I was 13. But it was more of a, a routine that I had gotten into. And so I continued to do that. And through high school... I had an emptiness that could not be filled by Mm -hmm. athletic success, friends, girlfriends. And so it wasn't until my my freshman year in college where I met, uh, I played football in college. And so I had met our team chaplain and we started a conversation. Mm -hmm. And one night he uh, called me over to his house and he went through the four spiritual laws with me. And I said, "That's, that's what I'm looking in for. And so when I prayed to receive Christ, that emptiness that I had was overfilled with a joy and happiness and peace that hasn't been met by, I was in mini camp with Tampa Bay. So athletic career and then uh, athletic success in, in NFL, um, education that I've acquired or being in the Olympics, nothing has compared to my relationship mm-hmm. with the Lord. So can you tell us about your time on the field? Um, you met your wife. And um, how, how was that serving overseas after what you said, the Lord working in your heart? Well, it was hard having a relationship long mm. distance. Originally, I was in Japan. She was in Liberia. She also wow. worked with Samaritan's Purse. So that the, it, we had good internet connection on both ends. But then I moved, moved to South Sudan. Mm. And I lived in a refugee camp in South Sudan in the bush. And so connectivity was very difficult. And so at one, we would go days without talking. At one point she said, are you committed to this or not? Like, mm-hmm. do you want to you know, pursue me or do you want to end it? Because mm-hmm. I was really focused on, on work, but of course on, it was hard to connect with, with one another. So we both left the field, we were married and then we went back to South Sudan mm-hmm. and it was hard because I was acting country director and this was in 2015 and the war broke out. Mm. And so that means we had to split. She went to Kenya. I had to stay in South Sudan and manage uh, the the response there. And so that was a very difficult time in our relationship. Yet we were away from our family. So we had only ourselves and we had to figure it out. We couldn't go running to our, our parents, our friends or other family members. We had to sit and work it out with one another. So that really helped to build a strong foundation as we moved around to different countries and even here in the U.S. Hmm. And how did the Lord work work in both of your hearts being separated as newlyweds? <laughs> uh, I think it showed our selfishness hmm. in that we 
we were looking at ourselves and what we needed as opposed to supporting one another. Danielle, my wife, Danielle, supporting me when I was trying to manage this, this very big response, but also her being away, feeling connected with me and being newlyweds, that uh, it, it helped us to have a better perspective, a better mindset when we're approaching, approaching conflict. Hmm. And so now you're here in Boone, you're serving as the director of the International Disaster Response Unit. And I know the approach to disaster response internationally versus domestically is different. Can you explain that to us a little bit? Sure. Domestic is we are focusing on the U.S., the United States. When something happens, we deploy or North American Ministries deploys uh, a team or teams to to respond to that disaster. It's a little bit different with international disaster response because we monitor the the rest of the world for disasters. And when a disaster happens, we then as a team and with our senior leadership determine if we should respond to that. And if we do, we have a mechanism to send people, supplies, aircraft to that uh, disaster. And we have a, a roster of about 1,300 people globally that are available to respond to a disaster within 24 hours. And we have a warehouse in Wilkesboro that we that we pre-position supplies that we can deploy at a moment's notice if a disaster happens. So how did serving um, as director in the South Sudan and Uganda prepare you for this current role? It's mm, a good question. I learned to be a leader. Previous, I had learn to be a leader through watching people, through books I, I read, or even through experience. And, and of course, being a country director in both of those, those countries gave me more experience, but it taught me collaboration. Mm-hmm. It taught me to, to include people, inclusiveness, and transparency. And I think that in this role, collaborating with different departments um, within projects and even outside of projects, collaboration and including people because ultimately we all have the same goal. And including people allows them to to be on board with mm-hmm. what you're doing to be able to accomplish, uh, especially when a disaster happens, be able to accomplish the goal that has been set out. And transparency as well because trying to manage a 100-person team on the ground from a distance is very challenging. So being transparent with the uh, the team lead there to help him or her understand the why behind a decision, why we're moving in this direction helps to, um, um, to move our mission, our mandate forward. So you mentioned earlier uh, responding with various things. Samaritan's Purse is known for responding immediately with personnel and supplies, and you, you touched on that a little bit, but could you share how exactly you know what to send and, and how much to send and what capacity to get involved with? Well, we've been responding to disasters since the, the mid-'90s, and so we have a lot of historical knowledge um, around the world, different disasters, whether it's a hurricane, a cyclone, an earthquake, uh, a war. So through that knowledge, we, when a disaster happens, we would say, historically, these are the needs based upon mm. this disaster and based upon this region. So we would mm. send supplies out. And once we have teams on the ground, then they would do an assessment and reevaluate, is that, is that what's needed? Or 
are different supplies needed or more of what we've already sent. And so it's it's not, uh, and, and of course we get feedback. OCC, Operation Christmas Child, has a, um, a, a great network of churches mm. around the globe. So normally that's one of our first calls mm. is to Operation Christmas Child. They uh, connect with their national leadership team on the ground. Then we are able to get good information from the from the field to help us make that an even better decision of what we're sending. Hmm. And so, when you're not in the middle of a big disaster response, what is, what does your day look like? What is your team doing in preparation? So, our responsibility as a unit is to build our capacity. Uh, organizational readiness to respond to international disasters. And so that means trainings. That could be DART, Disaster Assistance Response Team. That's what our our team is called that's deployed. So that would be training them Mm -hmm. on how to respond to a disaster. It is training them how technically in in a particular sector how to respond. It's looking at our past responses of what we did and how we can improve. So after action reviews, working with other departments within Samaritan's Purse to to become more efficient. And looking at, we have, a, as I mentioned before, we have 1,300 people globally around the world. And so we're looking at ways to engage them to feel, to allow them to feel a part of Samaritan's Purse because they are, they are the hands and feet. During a disaster, they are the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. And so we want to, to bring them in to allow them to do their job better. Mm-hmm. Now, in your position, do you do you travel quite a bit, or are you here primarily? The last two years, I've been mostly here. Mm-hmm. So my responsibility has been to run the response mm-hmm. from headquarters. And so at times I will travel, but I think that um, the organization feels I'm more valuable at this time to, mm-hmm. to run the, the response here on the incident management team. Mm-hmm. Can you share a story of how you've seen God work um, in the midst of a disaster? I have many, mm-hmm. and I may speak a little bit more generally here, but I've seen favor, I've seen access, I've seen divine introductions mm. where other organizations can't get into a country. Other organizations cannot connect with a government or a military official to be able to um, fly our supplies in. I think that um, God, uh, God has His hand on Samaritan's Purse. I think uh, that's quite evident, and in particular on disaster response. And in every country that we go to, we, re- we respond. People ask why we're responding, mm-hmm. and we have an opportunity to share the love of Christ with them and to see the hearts that are changed, um, that are that were maybe were hardened before, but because we. Um, met their physical need, we were able to then meet their their spiritual need, um, whether that's in Iraq, that's in Mozambique, it's in the Caribbean, wherever, wherever it is around the world, it's been a consistent favor, access, divine introductions, and lives changed. Is there a particular scripture that you, you cling to or your team during these long hours and stress responding to these disasters? You have two things. One is a scripture, and then two is the work that God has done in my life. And, and the, the scripture is First Thessalonians five sixteen through eighteen. That's rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. And I want I desire to be a, a man of prayer, a, a, an individual who 
makes good, wise decisions and not because I'm smart, but because I stay in God's word and that the Holy Spirit can can work through me. Even when I need to make a quick decision, I may not have time to spend five or 10 minutes going and, and pondering and, and praying. But if I'm doing, if I'm spending time with the Lord beforehand, I, I, I hope and pray that he will lead and guide me um, in those decisions. And second is, things do get very difficult, whether it's in the field when I was in South Sudan in the middle of a refugee camp or whether it's in the in, um, in the details of a, dis- a very complex disaster response. But I know that the Lord distinctly and uniquely called to serve Samaritan's Purse, and he uniquely has orchestrated the different positions that I've held here. And so I continue to go back that the Lord has called me to serve Samaritan's Purse. The Lord has called me to serve the beneficiaries that we're serving. The Lord has called me to serve him. So I hold on to onto that. And at times, you know, I have to remember what I heard in the light and when it's mm-hmm. very dark out. Mm-hmm. You know, remember what God told you in the light when yeah. you're in the dark. Um, speaking to that, um, after being in refugee camps, you know, we've been praying for the people of Venezuela can you tell us a little bit about your time there and what you saw and maybe some lives changed? Refugee camps are difficult mm-hmm. and it is they're, they're people who are moving who have no place to call home. Mm-hmm. And many times the host government may be hosting them, but they don't have a permanent place. Mm-hmm. And many times they ha- what they have is what they can carry. And so it's very, very little. And so individuals are hungry. Um, they're tired from, um, from moving around. They've been displaced. And so family members um, could be missing. They don't have a community anymore that they were once connected with. And um, it is a, can be a, a situation of hopelessness. And when I saw uh, in South Sudan, the resilience of the um, Sudanese people was, uh, was something I hadn't seen before. And they continue to uh, stay positive, um, trust the Lord. And of course, they were very thankful for the work that we had, had done there. And I know in, um, in Colombia and in uh, Venezuela, uh, the, the individuals coming from Venezuela, and the work that we are, we're doing down there. I haven't been down there, but um, the desperation of the people coming out of there and the work that uh, we're able to prov- provide shelter or we're able to provide food, things that they haven't had in days, weeks, uh, months. I know that they are very thankful. And I know God has given us a unique opportunity there to meet, again, not only the physical physical, but more importantly, the, the spiritual needs of the people who are, are desperate right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we wrap up, we'd love for you to share a prayer request from your team, but can you just explain, I keep thinking about the DART team, can you explain that a little bit to us? They're, right. They volunteer, or you call them within 24 hours, um, right. but they're all over the world? So they are, we have 1,300 people around the world, and that can be in the U.S., Canada, Europe, Africa, Asia. And these are individuals we've actually hired. They've mm-hmm. gone through the hiring process. And so they are, they all have their own jobs. Mm-hmm. But when a disaster happens, we begin to call them. Depending on their specialty, we would begin to call them and say, are you available? Mm-hmm. And some are available and some are not. And so that's why we have so many people because 
in general, we have about a 40% positive response. And so depending on the, the scale of the response, we could need several hundred, we could need 10 or 20. And so we call them and then if they are available, then we put them on a plane and they they depart. And they're, essentially their contract then is activated and they become mm-hmm. um, part of, of Samaritan's Purse. And we send a, a, an individual, an experience, many experienced individuals to help lead the team. And some people are more experienced than, than others, but it's, it's incredible quite honestly, to see the response that we've had and see how God has used people from around the world, from different cultures, and you place them in one location and to work um, in collaboration with one another with a Christ-centered mentality and focus. The work that we're able to get done in the name of Christ is, uh, quite honestly, incredible. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for clarifying that. Um, and as we close, would you, is there a prayer request we can partner with you, um, so an update you can give us from your team? Sure. I would pray for wisdom and discernment that when a disaster happens, and it can happen at, at, at any time, it could happen uh, in an hour, it could happen mm-hmm. tomorrow, it could happen in two months, but discernment on when to respond and how to respond, mm-hmm. uh, to make good decisions on who to deploy and what to deploy and for rest mm. as well during during those times because they can be very long, stressful. You have a lot of uh, many competing um, interests that you have to that you have to navigate and manage. And so, um, we want to be good stewards of of the resources that uh, that we've been given. And so, we um, just need to be wise and discerning of my team and also with with uh, leadership as well. Mm. Well, thank you so much, Brock, for joining us and giving us a little bit of clarity on your unit. Um, we appreciate it. And listeners, if you would partner with him and his team, um, but also um, our disaster response team here in America is responding in Missouri and Ohio right now. So please be praying for those teams that are deploying right now. Thank you again, Brock. Thanks for thank having Thank you for me. joining us. Thank you. Thank you.